Hey guys, look, today the game is changing. And I'm going to tell you that this might be one of the most powerful episodes that I have ever done. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see that the game has changed in my physical environment. Everything is leveling up to help men become that irreplaceable man and husband they know they're capable of being and the one that their wife never wants to fucking leave. That's it. That's the message. That's what we do here. That's what we create here. That's what all of our content, all of our curriculum, our coaching, our retreats, our mastermind literally creates that for you, keeps it structured so you can become that man. That's it. And the guy I got on today, Garen Jones, if you don't know him, you should probably go Google him. I'm not going to give you his whole bio. It'd take me 40 minutes and I want to make this quick. Garen is one of the most influential people online. And I have been following him for a long time. And I love the guy's energy. I love his work ethic. I love just his passion to help create that safe space for people to discover the gifts that are already inside of them. And they can use those gifts to produce extraordinary results in their lives and for the world. And I love that because Garen and I have a very similar mission on this planet. And we are going to talk for a very long time. This is a long episode about Garen's life. And we're going to dig into things that I've never heard anybody else on all the interviews I've heard him on. I've never heard anybody else ask some of the things that I'm really curious about. And I'm going to ask him those things today. And we're going to dig into relationships, confidence, the courage. How do you keep going? Perseverance, how to find your authentic self, releasing your past programming and history, making that brain plastic again so it's pliable and, and you can do with it what you need. Mindset, finding your purpose, a little bit of branding. Oh man, we're going to talk about his whole story, like what he was taught by his mom and his brothers, no one coming to save you, voluntary discomfort, training your life force for inner calm, like doing what's easy is easy not to do it. And man, we're going to talk about losing authenticity, the pressure, cranking up your obsession, seeing the difference in yourself and others, stepping out of the picture frame or out of the picture to see the actual whole thing instead of just looking at the inside of the frame. Guys, this is a badass episode. The whole game here has changed. Our 100% focus is to help you become that irreplaceable man and husband that you know you're capable of being and that your wife wants to be with forever. Because that's me and that's who I became. And I wasn't that guy. I was fucking replaceable and became irreplaceable by doing the shit that I built for myself. And then now we have this whole universe movement around it. And I'm really, really proud of it. And so talking to Garen was a real treat to see where we've come from and to just be bask in his energy and just to feel him and see his story and hear his trials and tribulations. It was awesome. I mean, the guy was top of the world, bottom of the world, top of the world, bottom of the world. You're going to love it. You're absolutely going to love it. It's long. We've got retreats coming up, which are going to be irreplaceable man retreats and irreplaceable husband retreats. So you know what the fuck you're coming to get when you get in that world. When you leave, you will have the tools, the strategy, the systems, the structure to be that irreplaceable man that you know you're capable of being. And that husband that your wife wants forever. You want that? Reach out. Same thing we do in our mastermind. We've tightened the whole thing. The whole world has changed. Our mastermind and all of our curriculum focus around you becoming 
irreplaceable version of you that you know you can be. You just don't know how to get there. And we're the bridge across the canyon. Systems, structure, support, stand for sustainable growth and transformation. You want it? We got it for you. And we'd love to help you. So enjoy this episode. Garen Jones, it's amazing. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Here we go. Garen Jones, dude, I, I think excited is like an understatement, man. And I'm not fanboying out. I'm just, I love your story, dude. I, I, I listen to all your stuff and, and to have this opportunity to dig into the things that I'm interested in, which I think our audience is interested in. That's where I'm getting like massive excitement. Go, I want to know more. I want him to say this. I want the guy to ask him that. Why isn't he asking him that? So now I get the opportunity to ask you and I, and I'm really honored to just have this time with you, man. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much. And just, I just want to say thank you for uh, the bravery that you have for just being bold enough to create platforms like this for stories like mine and those who are listening to have wings. Because for a long time, I didn't think my story mattered. That's why I was afraid to talk about it. Yeah. Now I see how powerful it is. And if it hadn't been for people like you, then millions of people wouldn't even have seen in you know, this relatable factor, this physical version of what's inside of them, they wouldn't even seen like, man, that's possible for me too. So thank yeah. you. Yeah, dude, I, I'm, I'm honored. It's interesting because you have a really unique story that at any point I would think, and I have thought, how do you get through that? Like how as a child do you get through your dad being murdered? That's rough. And how do you get through being in jail? and then being successful and then slipping backward and living in your car and then and then up and down and up and down. And so the thing I think about with you is how does this guy have this level of perseverance? And that's what we're going to dig into. The other thing we're going to dig into in depth is like what I told you before, men on purpose, our mission is to help men become the irreplaceable husbands and men that their wives will never want to leave because that's who I was. Seven years ago, I was a man that my wife wanted to leave, yet the bank account was full and everything on the surface looked amazing. However, I was failing, looking like a major success doing it. And I I'm going to get your take on that so the audience can, can connect with you on that. First, though, let's just touch on the, the main points of the story because I really want to get into this perseverance piece and the ego piece and the the courage that you've had and the confidence to just keep fucking going. I don't get it. I don't get <laughs> it. <laughs> I don't so get the it. The story I'm about to share with you, um, I know a lot of people will be able to relate, but they might not, they may not know that uh, it's connected to their perseverance as well. So yeah. there's two people that modeled, that, that, that really instilled that in me. First one is my brother. My brother was Anthony Jones. He was four years older than me. And he was a huge fan of WWF, WWE. And then when MMA came out, he like studied every single move. And guess who he took out all of his moves on? Little yeah. old me. And to put everything into perspective, my brother started puberty when he was nine. I started puberty when I was 18 years old. So I was little for a very long time. And I'd have to wrestle my brother every single day and he wasn't little he was very big and like 150 pounds 
to my five-year-old self just laying on me and he'd say, get up. And he'd say, and I'd have to find a way to get up and I'd cry and I'd kick, curse and I'd, and I'd be kicking and, I, and he finally let me up. So imagine having to fight your brother Yeah. and it was borderline, it got crazy all the time, every single day until you graduated high school. Crazy. Every day, every day. So the, in the back of my mind, when a giant mountain is hovering on me, laying its weight on me, I always have my brother's voice saying, get up, get up. And me finding a way, whether I'm squirming or, man, I've wrestled with people who are D1, uh, um, two division, uh, what was it? Uh, two, two division wrestler champions. I've wrestled with them. They're like, yo, are you sure you've never taken any wrestling classes? I'm like, no, they were like, well, how'd you know this over under? How'd you know all these things? I'm like, bro, I had to wrestle my brother who studied all of these moves every day for my entire life. So you do anything over 10,000 hours, it's going to be slightly different than somebody who's just like, hey, I've never done that before. So that's one thing that was just in, I've always had the perseverance from that. My mom, she had her house, our house burned down. And I watch her with with no with no no money, no insurance, figure out a way. And she would always be calm through. I see my mom cry one time. She would always be calm through things that seemed so catastrophic. And so she was always calm through the extreme situations. And she would always find a way to get back on her feet. We didn't have any money. Our lights would go out. She would find a way to get the lights back on. We didn't have any money. I'm like, mom, can you buy me these shoes? He was like, well, I can't afford it. Two days later, she had the money. She would do everything in her will. And I say this all the time, never underestimate the power of a mother who's willing to do anything to provide for their child. I saw my mom keep bouncing back and always figuring out a way. I saw my mom being calm through extreme situations. I saw my mom lose it all and get it back again for the, for the sake of providing a roof over her kid's head, food on the table and clothes on our back over and over and over. So with that domestication, and yes, I can talk about all the negative things that her and my brother did, but the default was my mother, she, she domesticated that, that staying power, that fortitude, she domesticated inside of me. And my brother just laying on me, get back up, keep, keep going, get back up. And so that was the basis of everything that started me just always being willing to get back up and keep moving forward. Dude, I love that. It, I mean, it sounds, it is your, it's the nurturing. It's how you got wired. So now it makes sense. Now it makes a lot of sense. So in the beginning, you know, when you have something happen, like what happened to your dad as a young kid, you know, how do you, how do you get through something like that? knowing that you're getting your ass kicked every day on the outside you're getting your ass kicked emotionally on the inside you know the you don't know if you're going to have a house one day to the next you don't know what's going to happen you don't know if you're going to be i mean you know you'd be taken care of you just don't know when the next thing's coming for you 
I mean, the outside and inside are pushing. Did, did it just did it just become kind of neutral buoyancy from the outside and the inside, or was it like how did you get through that stuff? I had nothing else to compare it to, so I actually thought everybody else's life was like mine. Got it. So I didn't have anything to compare it to to be able to get through to what am I getting through I'm thinking this is normal. And so, you know, seeing my brother keep going, seeing my mom keep going, seeing all of my friends keep going when I'm thinking they're experiencing the same thing was just, you are the product of your environment. So when I see people that kind of just keeps going on with their life, what that inadvertently and unconsciously taught me was even as a little child, nobody's gonna come save you. And um, you know, that, that just being trained, just like if you trained soccer for 20 years, you, you trained and trained and trained and trained, it becomes automated inside of your nervous system. And then you kind of just, it's a habitual nature for you. It's kind of like if you grew up in a domestic and violence, uh, domestic violence house, like the second somebody raises their hands, you'll go like this. So the second times get tough, I hunker in and I stay calm and I boil down and I and, and it just allows me to go forward. I couldn't see the picture while I was in the frame back in the day. Yeah. However, that was a part of my automation. That was a part of my domestication was just to do exactly what I saw my mom doing. And though it was difficult and though I cried and though it was hard, and I felt like half of me died. Something inside of me said, just keep going. Just keep yeah. going. Hmm. It's like, a, it's just a, it's an inherent or innate survival tactic that was just different in you than it was in other people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I teach it now, but I, yeah. I in, my, in my programs, I teach voluntary discomfort. You know, like yeah. this is whenever I, I don't have anything that's, like that doesn't allow me to overcome um, strenuous things in my life. I go and chase it. So I'll go run 64 miles over a mountain. You know, I'll go do things that, how the heck am I gonna get through this? And then I train, I get a coach, I get a mentor, I do whatever I need to do so that who I become when I grow through that voluntary discomfort is somebody different than who I was before. Cause what got you here won't get you there. So yeah. now I integrated inside of all of my programs. You come to my program, you're going through hard shit for sure. <laughs> right, Don't right. Let the baby face fool you. It's like I've been through some crazy things, and the fact that I can stay calm through it, I also teach that as well because it allows you to age gracefully. Yeah, yeah, dude. I, that, the way you say that, it makes perfect sense. Voluntary discomfort. I mean, I, I. I think about that for my own life and I think about that for my kids and I go, how much struggle will my kids endure and how will I teach them struggle the way that my parents taught me struggle with actual struggle? You know what I mean? How do you manufacture struggle? And the voluntary discomfort is a way for you to manufacture struggle to push yourself through the things that your ego is like, yeah, that's fine. No, no, no. Stop there. I, I did a breathwork session with uh, amazing girl named Jen um last weekend and she said let's talk about the ego for 10 minutes because we want the ego to make sure that it knows that it's here and that it doesn't have a place in this breathwork session that's going to go an hour and a half and in the first minute of you in in out 
in, in, out, your ego's going, uh, this, this is good. That's enough. Yeah, we got, we got what we need. We, oh man, look how I feel, you know, like, oh, I feel amazing. This is great. Well, you got a, you got an hour and a half left of that. So it, it's, I like the way you put that. And what kind of voluntary discomfort besides running 64 miles, what can someone start doing today just in a, in an action step to put so, themselves in that position? Yeah. So, um, I, I developed this, uh, systematic, um, formula called breath training. There's breath work. Then there's breath training. That's voluntarily putting yourself through extremes and then finding solace and calm and neutrality with a breathing pattern while your body is going through strenuous activity. So I like, I'll wake up at 4.30 in the morning, every single morning, and then uh, there's no street lights on my street. I'll just go out there and I'll run and I hear all kinds of animals and everything. And then that fear hormone comes up even more. Yeah. But here's what I do. Instead of running, I don't call it running. I call it breath training. So I'll run and there's, I live in hill country. So the hills go up and down. So what I'll do is I'll do every three steps. I'll breathe in my nose. And then another three steps, I'll breathe out my nose. Even when the hills come. It's difficult to run 800 meters. I run 10 miles, but I worked my way up to one mile, two miles, three miles, up to 10 miles, only breathing through my nose every three steps. So I'm like, when I get faster, still one, two, three, one, two, three. So that is discomfort, but that whenever I stop, start breathing normally, what that does to my life force, which is the force inside of your body that's holding you alive, what that does to my life force is it trains my life force because I'm actually putting it to work. So I'm not trying to learn how to uh, play the Super Bowl in the Super Bowl. I'm actually practicing every single day. And then as soon as I'm done with that, I get into 36 degree cold plunge, but I don't even take that big breath for the cold plunge. I try to maintain the exact three count breath. So the one that I was doing while I was running, I'll get in the cold plunge and all of a sudden, for six minutes. So I just went from one string, one extreme to the next. And then I'll do that thing with the sauna. I'll do that thing with cycling. I'll do that thing with biking. And then say, for instance, me and my wife, we get in some type of argument. Whenever you get into an argument and that heat rises up, you're, watch your breath. Watch what happens to your breath. You're like, <sighs> but I've already trained my breath. So now when that comes up, all I do is go to my automatic. <sighs> two, three, two, three, because I've trained my breath. That is voluntary discomfort. So now when all the extremes happen on the day to day, you're walking around as the most calmest person that is connected to nature's frequency and anything that's connected to nature benefits from its resources. So that's something you can literally do right now. Go and run for three minutes straight, only breathing through your nose every three steps. And then I want you to pay attention to your heart. Your heart will be beating at the pace of your feet. And I want you, once you, once you stop running, keep doing that same breath pattern until you just come to a resolved state. That right there for 30 days will literally slow your world down. Things that make things go fast. And as a martial artist, 
I'm equipped to see if you're going to throw a punch or a kick or a knee long before you even do it. So if somebody who's, who doesn't, you're not trained in martial arts. If I just barely throw something, you'd be like, oh my God, that was so quick. But if you understand instincts, so my breath instincts, my life force instincts trains me for actual life. So nothing is coming fast. It actually slows life down. And when life slows down, I can get a lot of things, a lot more things done, much more efficiently because I'm not, there's no frantic energy because I'm training calm into my body. So interesting the way you put that. I, whenever I run, I, I, um, I live in LA, so it's kind of hill country too. And I used to live in LA, so I live off of, uh, up off of Mulholland. So the, the hills here are crazy. And when I used to swim competitively, we would do hypoxic breathing, which is the same thing, just in the water and a lot more dangerous because you're in the water and you're, and you're pushing your body and your body naturally wants to breathe. And so I never really thought about it doing, I never thought about doing that with running. And it makes perfect sense. You're putting yourself into a stress situation and at the same time saying to yourself, I got this, I can keep myself calm. I got all this. I can push myself no matter what. And I, and I like the way you put it, just go run for three minutes. Cause I think in our society, we go, we have to go big, 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 you know, as we're kind of trained for 24 hours, right? Right. <laughs> right. That hustle and grind mentality, which is so detrimental. And uh, you know, you don't, you don't think about it. Like, okay, I, I can just start. I remember listening to, a uh, 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 the group, there's a group in LA called metal and Dave Asbury is a member and he was on. And somebody was asking about cold water and cold showers. And he goes, don't fucking torture yourself. Just get in the shower and take a shower with warm water. And before you get out, make a commitment that you'll turn the water to cold for 30 seconds. Just do that. And that alone will start to develop a habit. And eventually you're going to be able to get in cold water. It will still suck. Yet your body will be more acclimated because you will have practice. Yeah. And dude, he, he released me from the fear and the traumas and the stuff that I was thinking around cold water from my competitive swimming days. And I'm like, just flip the damn switch, dude, and stand there for 10 seconds. That's all you got to do. Flipping the switch is the discipline. 10 seconds is just the, the commitment and the perseverance. And I did that. And that was a year and a half, uh, a, a little over a year ago. And now it's like, there is no automatic. I just turn the shower off. My automatic is I turn the shower to cold. I stand there and then... And I celebrate. You did that again. You did that again. I'm yeah. in control here, right? And and then I move on. And my buddy Keith Yaki, his episode is actually out today, 300th episode. Um, the way we celebrate in that in that mastermind is, yeah, you you did that. Look at you. Fuck yeah, man. You can do it again tomorrow because I'm in charge. So I, I I appreciate the way you put that because now I'm gonna enact that today when I go on a run and I look at that hill in front of me. I'm gonna slow myself down. Focus on that breath and that inner peace and control. It's actually very good advice, even though it's very simple. It's very good advice. It's yeah, it's, it's very simple. And if it, you know the 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 dangerous thing about simplicity is, uh, what's easy to do is also easy not to do. And most people do the easy not to do route. Yeah. So in that line, how do you push? So so hang on. You go to L.A. right? Because you got this built in you now. Now we know, now the audience and myself know, you got this. This is innate, this, this survival, this perseverance. And you go to L.A., 
And how long does it take you to find something like the modeling gig? How long does it take you to get something landed? So I was uh, staying at my cousin's house at first and he, uh, he got, he like kicked me out cause he thought I stole these Grammy tickets, which I did not. Cause he ended up finding them in his, in his dashboard. Um, but when he kicked me out, I didn't really have a place to go. And I, and I said, when I left Texas, cause I was, I was, I lived in Los Angeles for 21 years. Um, me and my wife moved here to Austin, Texas, uh, almost two and a half years ago. But when I moved away from Texas, I said, <laughs> I'm never coming back to Houston. I was like, if I've come back, that means I failed. Yeah. And so that was my commitment. And so when he kicked me out. That was my first real test. I'm like, I, people are like, well, you, won't you just call your mom? I'm like, no, like, no, if I call back, that's the ultimate failure. I said I, was, I wasn't coming back. And, um, you know, I, I went to go stay with these two, these two Japanese girls that were, that were my roommates, but they, they were also my classmates at Santa Monica Community College. Oh, yeah. They gave me a place to stay. And somebody jokingly said, why don't you become a model? And I was like five, nine. And when people like joke around with me like that, there's just something that, cause I was small for a long time. So I had small man syndrome. And so I, I didn't like the way that they made that little snark. I was like, well, I'll show you. I'll become, I'll become one of the top models even while being shorter than all the other models. Well, I signed up for every agency uh to try to get into and uh 12 of them rejected me and the very last one was Wilhelmina who said yes we'd love to represent you they sent me on Destiny's Child video the um the bu the buckle campaign and the Skechers campaign I booked them all on the same day so I went from like zero to like thirteen thousand dollars that quickly and so with that money I you know within two weeks received like half of it that's when i went and got my first apartment mm. but i stayed inside of the 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 modeling world and everything was going amazing i was doing music videos i was doing commercials l'oreal commercial old navy commercial i was doing tommy hilfiger stuff i was doing runway i was doing all kind of stuff and in the height of that i let other people's opinions, good opinions, like you're amazing, you're amazing. Wow, you look, you're so handsome, you're fine. Like, I wanna be like you, I let that get to my head. I didn't have any mentor uh, in my life at that time. And when I let that get into my head, it was as fast as it rose, was as fast as I lost it. Damn. So I, here I am, on all these billboards and all these magazines, on billboards in Times Square, the every you could walk into the mall in 2001 and see me in seven different stores at the same time, three national commercials. It was just everywhere. Yeah. And um, in the height of that, which if anybody knows anything about modeling, you do a job, you don't get paid for like another, at that time, like six months. So I, I looked at the appearance of successful because they saw me, but I'm still waiting on money to come in. I met a girl named Sonia 
who lived in France and I was in New York. I had two places in LA and in New York. So I can see your computer. Um, I met a girl, they introduced me to her. She was super hot. We hit it off like crazy. I ended up chasing this girl to France. It didn't end up working out. She went out of town. I'm still in France. And this is while my modeling stuff is still going on. I end up going to some, I think it was Club Pinks or something in, in, in France, um, in Paris. And I met these guys that I knew from LA. I only knew them from seeing them in LA and I knew they were up to no good. I knew, yeah. you know what I'm saying? But I always, want, I always knew I was supposed to have a big house, cars, money, lots of women. I, always, I saw myself in that lifestyle and I saw them living that lifestyle. So I just decided to ask. And I'm like, what, what, how can I get a life like you? And then one of them took me under their wing and started saying, they didn't say it all in the details. Well, I may have an opportunity for you. Meet me at this place at this time in the next few days. And I did. And there was a luxury vehicle. I want you to drive this car uh, over the ferry, over this border, and we'll give you 4,000 pounds. And at that time, 4,000 pounds was, each pound was uh, 2.3 US dollars. So yeah. it's like $9,000 back in 2001. I did the job and in one day I made $9,000 cash. And I was like- You were hooked at that point. That was like Bitcoin before Bitcoin was big. <laughs> right. I'm like, right. yo, I'm taking a risk. Let's yeah. go. I do the job seven times in a row within two months. I get hungry, not thinking about what else is going on in my life. So I get yeah. all this stuff and I have a one-year-old, I, I have a brand new daughter. So all this stuff is happening. Wow. Boom. On the eighth time I get caught, they sentence me to 12 years in prison. Jeez. I get out in two and a half years, but why? We'll save that for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Don't leave us on a cliffhanger, dude. Oh my God. So hang on. So one, can you still see my computer? No. Yeah, I can see, uh, no, I can see your computer. Okay. So this is all in Europe. You basically went to Europe and just stayed there and started running, driving cars across the border. Obviously well, there's something in the I, car worth a lot of money. No, no. So I went, then I came home to US and I went yeah. again and they just kept, oh. again, they would just keep buying me, buying my flights. Oh, got, got, another it. Job, got another job, got another job. So I did the route seven times. And on the eighth time I got caught. Oh, got it. Okay. Did you get caught with it in your bags at the airport or in the car driving across the border? No, it was the actual car. I never knew what was in the car. Oh. I just knew that it wasn't good. Right. When I got, when I got caught, man, I see that my body gets the chills even thinking about it. They said, well, and it was the first time they ever stopped me at the border. Typically they say, what are you doing here? And I showed them a cover of my magazine of me modeling. I'm like, oh, I'm here for a modeling job, which was, I was full of shit. Right. And, um, and said, so oh, that's really cool. You know, welcome. And they just let me in. This time the demeanor was different. The way they spoke to me was different. It was almost like they knew something I didn't know. Now connecting the dots, looking backwards. And they were like, what are you here for? And every single time I flew in 
from from the UK to Rot and I went to Rotterdam. This time I flew in to France and I was going to the UK. Mm. And so at the border from the Fran- from France to UK, it was a different demeanor, different everything. And um, they said we want to X-ray the they, what are these drums in your car? And I was like, oh my God, there's drums, right? Yeah. And I'm like, um, I'm a, I'm a musician. Oh, but this is not my car. It's my friend's car. What's his name? D. So it was all these things I wasn't prepared for because yeah, I had the spiral. same thing every time. They took the drums out. They put them in the X-ray, and as they went through the X-ray, X-ray, you see these little black shades, uh, a shade bricks. And as soon as they saw that, they put the uh, handcuffs on me. They were like, what is that? I was like, I don't know. It's like, I don't know. I'm just, this is my friend's car. And then it like, the story was all jumbled up. They opened up the Congo drums and it was empty. So they opened up the walls of the Congo drums oh, and they man. started pulling out these little yellow bricks one by one. And I was like, yo, I don't know what this is, but my life is over. I got billboards. I got commercials. My daughter was just born and I'm thinking in terms of America, I'm like, yo, I'm never going to see the light of day. Then they put me in a holding, they put me in a holding cell for a whole, um, for, for five days. And then that's when they took, they transported me to uh, Longness prison, Longness prison. And I was in there for a whole year before they even sentenced me and they sentenced me to 12 years. Wow. Damn, dude. I mean, we could dig into that alone. I, I just, I think the one question I have is at this point, that's like nothing you've been through your brother stuff, your mother stuff that, that has to do with some of your power. Like, dude, how scared were you that your entire life is now ended? As you know, the moment that those cuffs go on, cause I watched locked up abroad. I love that show. Yeah. And now, and, you and my you, episode, no, you have an episode. I have an episode on locked up abroad. Oh, fuck. Now I got to go. I'll watch that tonight. <laughs> it's called it's called Model Drug Runner. Okay. I will be watching that tonight then. Dude, yeah. um, it's interesting because you think the moment that those cuffs go on, and this is kind of like a recipe for life and the choices that we make. The moment that those cuffs go on, your life is never the same. And you have no choice from the outside, only choice from the inside, which you actually had kind of dialed in. Is that how you survive that? And like walking into a loud jail when you, you dude, your life was awesome in LA. You're modeling, you're, you're like, you got a daughter. Now all of a sudden your life is 180, complete. 180, what it did, I'll be quite honest. Um, I didn't live in the best neighborhood growing up. It wasn't the worst neighborhood, but it was, the people that I hung around, they weren't the best people. Um, just growing up the way that I did, seeing the things that I saw, feeling the things that I felt, I felt like I took a step back into, into a feeling that I felt that was familiar from when I was a little kid. Mm. And, um, I was afraid at first because I've seen crazy shit on uh you know online and about american prisons i'm like damn i can fight but i can't fight that good and it's like 
And then it was a there was a moment where we were driving to the prison and I say, you know what? How can I make the best decision? And I just remember saying, how can I make the best decision for where I am? I don't even yeah. know where that came from. And then I just let go. And I was like, you know, there's nothing I can do about something I can do nothing about. So yeah. when I went there, as soon as I stepped in, something said that, Garen, you're going to be okay. Huh. And I don't know what that, you know, now I do because I'm like spiritually inclined. Right. But there was a sense of like, you're going to be okay. Was there, was there a programming? Like you talk about the neighborhood. I've heard you talk about where you grew up and race coming into picture. Was there like a program in your mind that was like, well, you're not really destined for anything but this type of life anyway? Were, was that running at all? Or had you well, kind of cleared that, that program? No, from I was so mixed up back then because, you know, by the time I was five, I hadn't seen a, I hadn't seen a white person until I was five years old because we didn't have no TV. Right. And so I was just around, you know, an all black neighborhood. And I, I remember I saw my teacher, her name was Miss Hurt. Uh, and she was white, white, but I didn't know what like white, black was anything. And so I was like, mom, I have a, my teacher, she's cream. She was like, cream. I was like, yeah, I have a cream teacher. She was like, that's a white lady. And I'm like, she's not white, she's cream. And um, that's when I started being introduced. But everybody from where I grew up, when I was like the neighborhood that I was in, like kindergarten, first grade, it was rough. Yeah. And then my mom, when our house got burned down, there's probably something, something in her and say, I'm done with these bad neighborhoods. I'm gonna go move somewhere else. So then we moved to this other neighborhood where I saw a lot of white people and I saw a lot of Hispanics and Asians and I'd never been exposed to that in my life. So I'm like, and, I, and I'm like, the teachers were teaching different and the, the food was different. The neighborhood was different. And then I remember the first time I went over to my very first white friend's house and I'm like, what's supper? <laughs> like they, they would even use words. So I'm being, I'm being domesticated in a completely different neighborhood yeah. around uh, 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 a completely different dynamics of kids. And so I would have some other kids that didn't have any money like we did. And then I had some other, uh, uh, my other white friends, I would call it the white neighborhood. That's just when I was une uneducated. It was just where I saw the most white people that had all the money. Whenever I had a friend over there, then I saw a difference. The cars were different. The, the, the discipline was different. The, the way that they spoke to their kids were different. The, 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 the food was different. I was like, man, there's just, how come I don't have that? Yeah. So I spent a portion of my life seeing something that was different than what I had and blaming my mom because she would make food and just go to her room and i'd be like oh she doesn't love us oh i don't have the newest jordans so she doesn't love us like my friend kip well like my friend kip who has the newest everything but he was in the in the wealthy neighborhoods yeah. so i had this and i'm like hearing but i would spend the night over my friend josh's house 
in Bomi's house, whose dad was a brain surgeon, his mom was a heart surgeon. And then I'd be over at my other friend's house whose parents were on food stamps. And so I literally saw the difference. And I also saw the difference in, and this was less about race, but this was more about wealth. Someone who, whose dad was really wealthy, but gave his son everything that he wanted and never taught him discipline. I saw that. And I saw when he gave his son his business, how he ran his business into the ground. But then I saw at the same time, and these were two black, these were two black people. One of them was uh, my friend, um, uh, Warren Moon, his son, Josh. Warren Moon, he had generic, generic cereal. And, and that this was a Hall of Fame. Um, yeah. Yeah. He had generic cereal and he would make his son work for things. And I'm just like, why won't he just give it to him? He's got all the money. It didn't make sense. But when yeah. you see all of his kids massively successful, whether they're playing sports or not, is because he was teaching them the discipline. Yeah. I did have another friend who I won't name, whose dad just gave him everything. He handed him his, his son's practice. I mean, his, he handed his son his practice and he ran it into this ground because he never developed the discipline on how he developed that. So I was exposed yeah. early on to see the difference. And now what I'm teaching my daughter, I'm very similar to you. I'm teaching my you can't just have everything. But right. I'm teaching her, climb those stairs. She starts crying. I'm like, you can do it. I know you can do it. So she's learning. Her sleep is disciplined since six yeah. months old. She's been sleep trained and goes to sleep at 6, uh, 6 p.m. and wakes up at 7.30 a.m. every single day. Yeah. which is learning those discipline. I'm learning all these things from what I saw growing up and what I was exposed to. Yeah, well, I, I, I really enjoy hearing that juxtaposition between those extremes because that probably, that mindset probably, it might've saved you and kept you in that surrender mode instead of letting that, that exterior pressure affect your interior world. That's, that's really interesting to think about. Dude, yesterday, you know Manhattan Beach and, um, you know, if you go from the beach up the streets in Manhattan Beach, like it's a it's a hill climb. Okay. Yesterday, my my daughter, she was riding her scooter up the hill, and she's like, "Dad, my leg's tired." And I said, well, "We're not to the top of the hill." And she goes, "Well, what do you do?" I'm tired, and I said, "Well, what I do when the pain gets comes on, I just push a little bit more, and I just get curious as to see what I can do. Can I get two more steps? Can I get two more pushes? Can I get to the top of the hill? Can I make it to that lamppost?" We started setting these little goals and, and anybody that knows Manhattan beach, if you're down by Manhattan beach pier, it is a, it's like a 300 foot climb up these Hills to get to like the flat part. And, and they're not, they're not little, they're big inclines. Just that little piece yesterday, she got to the top and I did what Keith taught me. I went, yeah, you, yeah, you look at you. And she was like, wow, dad, I, I feel really proud of myself. And I said, else, yeah. look what you just did. Look at mom and price. And there, my, my son was my son's birthday yesterday, three, three years old. So my wife was walking with him up and I said, look what you just accomplished. You personify that through your whole life. So every little obstacle that you hit, like my legs are tired and I don't know if I can scoot all the way to the top of this hill, you just figured out that you could. So the next thing that you hit up against or that the outside world says to you, you can't do that. 
you now know you can from the inside. And I've been teaching you that since you were two years old doing affirmations. I got I'm going to, I'm going to show, I'm going to send you the video after this. My two-year-old standing in the mirror, just doing these affirmations with her, with her arms out. Like, yeah. it's so, it's so inspiring. So, um, I want to make sure we get through relationship stuff. Cause I think that's crucial. So you get back to LA and you get a, you get a record deal with ludicrous. I mean, dude, you're like the, you're like a cat. Like you just keep cycling up, down, up, down, up. When does this cycle of up, down end for you? Is this the point where it ends now? And I don't, cause why is this yeah. like a glutton for punishment kind of thing? One, you can't see the picture while you're in the frame. And I want everybody to just listen to that. Let that land. You cannot see the picture while you're in the frame and you can't change what you're not aware of. I wasn't aware until I connected dots looking backwards on my life of exact of what was happening of this formula. So people are like, man, it seems like I've been here before. It's like, why does everything happen every year around the same time? So with the songs that I wrote while I was in prison, I had committed that I was going to get a record deal. I didn't know how, but that was something I was going to do. And I wrote these songs while I was in prison. When I get out, um, a good friend of mine, D. Ray Davis, allowed me to stay at his house. And he said, you know, he's like my, he's like my brother. You know, people, they, my play cousin, my play brother, it's like my brother. Um, he said, you want to be a singer, right? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, if you, you know, you, he's like, don't come home unless you have a song. And I'm like, what? He's like, you want to be a singer, right? He's like, yeah. He's like, I'll give you a free place to stay. I'll drive you wherever you want to go, buy you clothes, food, all the things. Don't come home unless you have a song. I didn't know any producers. I didn't, I was like, I don't have any money, but I had a MySpace. And before spam existed, I went on and pff, all I had was a shirtless model photo and say, hey, I'm a singer. I'd love to, to, you know, I love your beats. I'd love to work with you. I messaged so many people, so many producers was looking it up and everybody, nobody like really responded to me, uh, except for this one guy named John Henry. And this is when I was in New York because um, they had to release me in the place where I had came from because I, I had a place in New York and LA. So I had a home in LA, home in, home in New York. So re released me in New York. I worked with John Henry, did a couple of songs. And then my brother goes, um, he was like, don't remember, don't come home unless you have a song. I ended up going to LA and I took the three songs that I had in New York and then I just was messaging the same uh, producers that I messaged before that didn't respond to me on MySpace. And I hit up maybe 800, 900 something people. It was crazy amount. Once I lock in on something, I just, it like time stops. So I did that. And in 30 days, I had 28 songs. 30 days. So I only had to, I, cho I chose to sleep. I didn't even try to plead the fifth. Like I slept you know, over at different girls' house for two of those nights. And then that Monday, because uh, D-Ray is the host of Improv in LA, and instead of putting a comedian up, he put me up. I didn't know who was in the audience. 
And then he said, my brother just got out of prison. He's got this music and everything. And I was singing, singing a song called Mr. Ordinary. Well, Jermaine Dupree was in the audience and Ludacris was in the audience. Oh, wow. So I met them both. And then all of a sudden, Luda says, do you have any music? And I was like, actually, I have 28 songs that I recorded in the last 30 days. And you can tell how impressed he was about that. Two and a half months later, I had a $500,000 record, record deal with DTP Def Jam. That's how I got the record deal. Dude, that's so awesome. Wow. And you think about the people that go like 15 years, especially in this town. This town will chew you up and spit you out fast. You think about the people that have been on it for 15 years and they hear about you and just come back, just do this, just do that. Bop, you're in this thing. You meet this guy, you're in this club, you sing, you do your thing. Ludacris is standing there. And it's like, it's completely divine, right? It's complete universal equation. Yet there is still a formulaic equation to you, the human yeah. operating the machinery. Absolutely. And one thing I want to say, you know, cause you can easily say, you know, you just get out and you just get a deal. But who, who, who do you know is going to message 900 people? No, it's you. That's what I'm saying. Audience, oh, yeah, like, yeah. Don't, don't, take, don't take Garen's like, oh, man, it's just been like, wow, it's, look at this. It, this, is, this, is, this is like a commitment to perseverance, a commitment to an obsessive level of determination and action. And it's because of who you are. Because somebody would go, he gets the right place, right time, man. That's to the untrained mindset. The trained yeah. mindset says, that motherfucker was in the right place. He became the person that could get to the place that became the right place. That's a formula. That's not luck. That's yeah, pure, that, that's, that's design. And, I, and I, I wanna point that out to the audience because a lot of people say to me, well, how do you do this? And how do you do this? And it looks like this. And I go, from the outside, it looks incredible. You don't sit at this desk with me every day and do the things that I do. You don't have the obsessions and wake up at 3 a.m. like I do. You just see the effect of the obsession and of the formula that I'm running to build me into the man that can actually accomplish and achieve those things that you see on the outside. And that's what you did. That's really cool. It's really cool. Thank you so much. Yeah. So then, dude, you hit it. You destroy it again. <laughs> you freaking knock it down. Yeah. Just when the audience thought, man, this guy's finally going to hit it. You knock it down and end up living in your car for two and a half years. Like, what the hell happened there? So I didn't get my um, $500,000 bonus. I got a bonus. That's what I bought my Jeep Wrangler Unlimited with. Okay. And I wasn't going to get my money until my album comes out. Well, the album never came out. So mm. I, I wasn't getting any money. So money. So all I had was I'm on BET. I'm on MTV. I have songs on the radio, but no money's really coming in. I wrote songs, but they it placed until like maybe three years later. So I had no money coming in and th there was a point where, and I wasn't as clear on this back then, but when I started changing and shifting myself in order to fit a different kind of mold of the reason why they signed me, I remember them saying, we won't change anything about you. We hmm. want you as you are. And then I felt myself changing. I'm like, yo, why am I on the stage with gangster rappers and all this? And I have no issue with that. I listened to that music and my music was a completely different audience. It made no sense. And yeah. so the more and more that was happening, I was like, this is not the right fit. I don't, they don't know what to do with me. 
I don't even know what to do with me. All I know is I had a crazy fan base before I came here. And then a lot of my fan base was like, yo, you're not, your music's not the same. It's like, what? Well, it's changing. And I start seeing comments over and over and over. So I ended up leaving that label. I, I left DTP and I was like, well, I can do it on myself. I can do it myself. That didn't quite work out the way that I planned because I wasn't making any money. Then my girlfriend broke up with me. Then I was like in the dumpster because I couldn't, you know what I'm saying? I couldn't, I could barely afford child support, couldn't take care of myself, mom dying in the hospital, $200,000 in debt, daughter pretty much disowned me. All of this was happening at the same time. So just imagine the pressure. Yeah. Fuck, man, damn, damn. Couldn't catch a break. That's when I tried to attempt suicide twice. And I, I failed at that, man. Hmm. So I'm just like, damn, 3.43 in the morning. I'm living, this was, I, I was like, man, they're taking everything away from me, but they can't take away my car because I bought it in cash. Right. That's the one thing that I had. So one week, me living in my car, turn into two weeks, turn into two months, turn into a year, turn into a year and a half, turn into two and a half years, sleeping from couch to couch, to girl's house, to couch, to all this sex. And I'm just like, yo, I don't even want sex no more. I don't want to be touched. I just want to be sleep. I want a peaceful night of sleep. And the only place I knew to get that was in my car. Interesting. So at 3.43 in the morning, 2011, that's when it all boiled down. And that's when all of the rises and falls of my life, all of the trials and the tests and the tribulations, all of the difficulty came to a head. I mean, the rock bottoms, rock bottom. You know, everybody has their version, but this was my version. And that's when I was like, okay, I'm tired of fighting. I don't want to fight anymore. I want to be healthy. I want to be happy. I want to be, in, I just want to inspire people and I want to make a bunch of money. I want to be surrounded by positive people, but I want that money to represent something that I passionately believe in that I would do for free. Just show me a sign, show me a sign. And a week later, I see this homeless guy at a gas station who asked me for money. And I said, hey, you have more money than me. And the homeless guy goes, change your mindset, change your life. And it was right there. Something about those words that created a conscious interrupt. Change your mindset. Change. So if my mind is set on something, then that's why the result is what it is. So if I do different with the same circumstance, my life will change. Well, my friend, it has been 12 years and I've trained myself to do the opposite of everything that I would normally do in areas of my life where I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy with my love life. I wasn't happy with my friendship. I wasn't happy with my family. I wasn't happy with my business. I wasn't happy with money. So basically the whole spectrum of life, I wasn't happy with. So I started doing the opposite and training myself. And it was <laughs> difficult, but an object in motion stays in motion. So that training to do the opposite just had me staging myself outside of the habitual nature that I that I was domesticated in. And now I'm 12 years removed from that nature, which ultimately aligned myself with my true purpose in life 
And now my life is 10x, 100x what it was before, but it's the invert. Mine was on a rocket ship going straight down. Yeah. Now it's, uh, it's, it's on 10 rocket ships going straight up with the same energy, but energy can't be created nor destroyed. It can only be transferred. So I've tr transmuted it into reading books. Stop going to nightclubs and start going to uh, getting a personal trainer. Started started um, uh, eating healthy, surrounding myself around positive people, reading books, listening to podcasts, stop watching TV, barely listening to music. And I really started filling my container, my vessel with how I wanted my life to look. And so my life is the physical evidence of my overall diet, mental diet, my heart diet, my spirit diet, my love diet. Here's the caveat. Yeah. I don't treat this lifestyle like a diet though. I treat it like a lifestyle. It's not something I'm trying. It's something that I'm actually living. And that's yeah. why the results continuously show up the way that they do. Because I'm not trying at this life. I don't, I'm not playing this life. I'm actually living and being this life. Yeah. Put so well, man. That's put so well. So I want to get into the relationship piece. I'm, I'm glad you went over that because that was the next thing I wanted to ask you. It, you just, did you know that that was the moment or... Did you have doubts in your mind when the homeless guy said that? It sounds so simple. It sounds so easy. Okay. I mean, the first time I ever heard you talk about that, I thought, well, how ironic that a homeless guy told you that, right? How, how ironic. Homeless why, right, right, right. Well, why wouldn't you look back at the, at the guy and go, what about you, dude? And isn't that just a power of choice in that moment anyway? That yeah, you made I, that choice? I'll, I'll tell you this. You know, I know, I know there's people out there right now going through what I'm about to share. Yeah. It seems like life is taking everything away from you. It's like, oh my God, it took my job. It took my wife. It took my husband, took my money. Yeah. It seems like life is literally stealing everything away from you. Well, I got to the point to where there was nothing else to take from me. So I was stripped of my ego. I was stripped of my girlfriend i was stripped of my daughter i was stripped and broken all the way down to humility i need everyone out there right now to listen to this this could be a line in the sand because i didn't pay attention to the signs i was stripped down to the bare nakedness of humility to the point where i could hear a message even through a homeless lie, uh, a homeless guy, because a message can come from anywhere. But you cannot truly hear the, <laughs> magic of the message, unless you are in the fertile grounds of the sweetness of humility. Hmm. Humble, without ego puts you on the same frequency as nature and anything that is plugged into nature benefits from its resources this one was a big one i didn't i wasn't well versed in how to articulate it back then yeah but from that moment on
what start to make its way into my life as I was pursuing the opposites were all of the crumbs and all of the seeds that allowed me to plant the forest that I'm living in right now. There's something so poetic about the way you talk about this stuff. I'm taking notes and I'm like, I'm, I can't even take the notes there. I just, I just need to be present with you. My team will grab all this shit out. You know, like I, 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 the way you say things is so, it's so well, like I learned a long time ago that spontaneity is a conditioned reflex. And I hear that conditioning in your voice, not practice to make yourself look good. It's to be this spontaneous and this dialed in and this impactful with one sentence that's not all over the place run by a bunch of shit that's, you know, ego and whatever your mood is. And like, you're so fucking dialed in and that comes from practice. And you don't practice to look good. You're practicing to be the best version of you. And I, I, I can feel that from you. And like, every time I'm writing and you're talking, I'm like, just put the fucking pen down, dude, put your pen down. So I have half the notes that I would normally have because your spontaneity is so conditioned from you just being this man in this lifestyle that you own and operate not it's the idea for the year i've committed to it for a year you've just made it your life it is your life lifestyle is not a fad it is your life and it's very apparent and real real quick while as we're wrapping up i want to when i have i started building um my coaching business and mental purpose and my real estate business and, and friends of mine and my car and my house. And I started creating a dating profile. And as I learned more about you to find your soulmate, you basically created a dating profile. And I want you to talk about that. I want you to talk about the 60, 62, right? 62 factors or items. I do that same thing. I want to know that I'm making a logical decision when I'm in an emotional state. So that I don't have to go, I won't, I won't go back and beat myself up for like, fuck man, you knew you shouldn't have made that decision. I can, I can in a logical time build the things I'm looking for so that I can emotionally be charged and still make a logical decision. And that's what you do. That's a formula though. Fill us in and give us just a, give us a, a, just insight on how you are the most irreplaceable husband that your wife wants to be with forever. How do you do that? Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, the computer that everybody is watching on, the phone that you are watching on, the house that you live in, it started with a blueprint. They didn't just take bricks and be like, hey, we're going to build, build something. There was a blueprint. There was thought and intention that went into br- blueprint. Okay. Um, I was the type of person who avoided commitment at all costs. I am your playboy. I am the person that you want to keep me away from your wife because I had literally no remorse back in. And of course, there's a lot of deep yeah, traumatic yeah. trauma stuff of unfulfillment, love for my mom that I was going through and I didn't know that. Um, so no one ever saw it coming. The fact that I could be in a committed relationship not even me. So any relationship, any book that I ever read and a chapter was on love or somebody was like, oh, you should read this. I would never read the book and I would always skip the love chapter. Yeah. And I was just like, I don't, 
You know what I'm saying? I never heard about Gandhi's wife. You know what I'm saying? So I just want to kind of just do that route. Yeah. Um, so there was a book called uh, When God Winks by Squire, by Squire Rushnell. The first edition, there's been seven editions. The very first edition, paperback, it's like a purple and gold cover, small. It came to the section about soulmates. I read that book maybe 10, 12 times, I think 10 times. And I skipped the chapter every time. I was on my way either to Brazil or back from Brazil. And I'm reading this book again. The chapter on soulmates comes up. I'm about to skip the chapter. I was like, you know what? I'll just find. I was like, she's not out there, but I'm going to read the chapter. And to sum, to summarize it, it's like, you got to be really specific with what you want. And I was like, I've always been specific. I want an exotic girl with nice legs, da da da. And I'd name like three things. And I'd get that girl the shittiest personality. And it's just right. like, yo, like you can't take care of yourself. I could barely take care of myself. And I was just like, man, I'm, I am specific. And it's like, no, you actually, this is someone you're choosing. You want to be as specific as possible. Yeah. And then when I wrote 10 things on the list, I felt something in my stomach was like, I wasn't worthy of even writing this list. And so I was like, no, this is who I want. Hmm. So there was three categories, the attributes of the woman, how you want to feel in the relationship, and the top five places that you've never been to before that you would meet this person. Circle and star the one that resonates with you the most. I wrote down 62 attributes. I was the most picky. I was like, this person doesn't exist, but if she does, listen, no, she doesn't have alcohol problems, no daddy issues. Uh, she makes her own money, but loves being taken care of. She's masculine and can easily slip into her feminine. She loves to travel, loves fashion, loves learning, loves reading, uh, loves animals. Um, there, I just like loves God. She has a relationship with God. I'm like literally saying all these things, great hygiene. She's fairly tall. I'm saying the most perfect person. And I yeah. said, whoever this person is contains the key that will unlock my soulmate's treasure chest. And I wrote this and I still have it. And then I wrote how I wanted to feel. I want to feel seen. I want to feel heard. I want to feel like I mattered. I want people to acknowledge me. Like I really want to feel that because any environment where I've ever felt that from some person, I've thrived. So in school, in uh, friendships, that's what I want in a partnership. And then the top five places I never did online dating. So I put Bumble, the league, um, art, art shows, personal development seminars. Then all of a sudden I circled and starred personal development seminar. Cause obviously if she's into growth, right. You might have a lot of those. Yeah. Right. So then yeah. it needs to align. So I wrote that down, lost the list. <laughs> Mist of losing the list. My daughter came back into my life. Mm. Call it a coincidence, but as I'm looking to 
call in this partner, my daughter comes back into my life, which was something I was running away from because of shame and because of guilt, because I couldn't be the man, you know, I, I, didn't, I couldn't be the, the father I knew I could be. I had no idea. Well, I ended up developing a very powerful relationship with my daughter. And I started learning. And instead of being, I hope she sees that I've changed. Look, all these people see that I've changed. That was that was my wimpy voice in, internally when it comes to came to connecting with her. I shifted from that to I am the most powerful representation of who my daughter will marry one day. I want all you men out there to really listen to this affirmation. I didn't write down I hope. Or I'm I'm I, I hope she sees me. Listen to the, the declaration. I am the most powerful representation of who my daughter will marry one day, which means what I think about, how I'm showing up, how I'm treating women should come from my daughter's eyes, not my dad's eyes. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what was about to happen, but guess what happened? Within a month and a half, my daughter's like, Daddy, you're different. And we started developing a powerful relationship. Started developing a relationship with her mom. She met my her side of the family. That uh, my, I mean, my side of the family. And we started developing. And then she was doing things for me, like washing dishes without me asking. And I don't expect women to do this. This was something she naturally wanted to do. I didn't even know I wanted that because I did my own dishes. Right. I was like, damn, that feels good. I would want somebody to do that. Then she was like, I came home from Korea. She was like, I want to take you shopping. I want to cook for you tonight. A lot of women in LA don't cook. They want to be taken out to eat. Yeah. Man, let me tell you something. What that did inside, I was like, how did you know? I just want a home cooked meal. And I was like, I would want that in a woman. Huh. So in the midst of me developing this powerful relationship with my daughter, magically, <laughs> I go to a personal development seminar, emotional intelligence training, and I meet my wife, my future wife, Blair, who is just my friend. And one by one, every single time I talk to her, every single time we text, I felt like this vibration going on inside of him. I'm like, what is that? I was like, oh, then one day we finally decided to date on our first date. It was the first time I saw my future with any woman I'd ever been with in my life. And I could see her being the mother of our child. I could see her being my wife. And I told her that night, not from a wimpy, wimpy place. Most people would be like, oh, what? No, from a bold place. I can see it. She said, it was something about your confidence that made me feel safe. And we're going on three and a half years. We have a daughter. She, you know, a daughter named Soul. Blair's my best friend. And it was ironically, after meeting Blair, I found my list. Wow. While doing some spring cleaning that Blair made me do because she didn't want to live in a slightly dirty house. Yeah. I found my list and Blair had all 62 attributes. Love she that. treated me how I wanted to be treated. 
and I met her at a personal development seminar. So I feel like my reward for truly being a man, man is not always the toughest, strongest person or whatever you would consider tough and strong. Tough and strong to me is admitting when your ass is wrong. Admitting when you need to stand up in the face of something that you, you cowered your tail around in and like really develop that relationship with your mom who hurt you or your dad who hurt you or your daughter who you didn't have a relationship with her mom and you just ran away and really, really being the king inside of that space so somebody can see a representation of what it looks like. When I did that, mountains moved. When, when the lion roars in the jungle, all the other animals get quiet, but the roar is not the loudest person. It's the person that's being the most brave, the most bold, the most vulnerable, that's opening up his heart and saying, I'm here, I'm not going anywhere, and you can, well, here's what you can count on me for, and th this is to be the pillar of this family, to be the pillar of, of this business, to be the pillar of what it really means to be a divine specimen in this world and treat women with respect by first treating yourself with respect. Yeah. Now, when I became that, the universe becomes plastic according to who you become and it shapes and shifts itself around you. And when I became that, I started teaching that and molding people uh, into their internal um, purposeful mission of, be of becoming the fullest expression of themselves. Dude, I love your intensity. There's not a lot of guys, not a lot of guys that I talk to on here or really in general who fucking spit this fire from such an authentic place. And I feel you on that. And I just want to acknowledge you for that, man. You're like, I watch your videos of you dancing in the park and stuff. And I'm like, that dude inspires me. And then I sit on this with you eye to eye and feel you. And that's what you call a stand for other people because yeah. you became a stand for yourself. My wife said the same thing to me in 2016. I got to go and I'm taking our one-year-old with me because I know who you are authentically and you Ooh. don't. And I can't be with a guy that can't live like that. He, he gives the world everything he's got and brings home nothing except for the money. And what broke me, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to tear me up still, like seven years later, is are you really the model of a man that you want your daughter to attract into her life one day if she chooses to? Damn. And I said, and I, like, dude, the bravado, the fucking ego, the, the, the narcissist went. <sighs> and I looked at her and I just started crying and I said, no, she goes, then you better fucking figure something out quick because you can lose me all day long, but she is counting on you to lead her. And I fucking lost it, dude. And people ask me all the time. You have something similar, bro. Very similar. That's why I was feeling you. And I'm like, fuck. Like, there's, there's, like, there's this, this birthplace of what I've built was born that day. And I was telling you, my mentor, Keith Yaki, was, was just hit me with it two weeks ago with, it's not tight enough. What does someone get from this? 
And when I said they become the irreplaceable husband that their wife never wants to leave, he's like, that's it, because that's who you became. You became the man that your wife wants to fucking be with, not needs to be with, not she's sticking around for the money or because the Louis Vuitton purses keep flowing. It's because she fucking likes you, the man, and who you are authentically. And you have done the work to shed the shit that's not you, that society or culture or school or mom and dad put on you. And you've done the fucking work and she can see that authentically. And I just, dude, I feel you on that. I feel you on that. And I really just, uh, bro, I don't even know what time it is. I gotta, I, I gotta let you out of here. I, dude, I, we gotta do a second one of these because I really wanna dig into relationships with mm-hmm. self and spouse and children specifically with you. If you're open to that, let's do I'm, it. I'm, I'm, I'm totally open and I love okay. talking about it. Um, yeah. One thing I wanted to share as we come into closing is- Yeah, that- please. When you you mentioned it like you can see the intensity you can see the passion but then you can see me dancing and having yeah some, i call that range and um like i say the danger the most dangerous person is not the loudest person or the person with the most muscles it's the the it's the person that knows that if he wanted to he could kill and chooses not to yeah and in the same breath can nurture a flower or can dance and be unapologetically himself or can open his heart, crack it wide open without a care in the world. That range right there. See, you don't really know who you are until you know what's there. Yeah. You got to get the puzzle pieces out of the box first before you can put them together. And so if there's any men out there that are resonating with this message, I would say you find a way to explore your edges, to really learn about your range. And then once you discover your edges and push your edges and learn about your range, and then you start oscillating and navigating that energy inside of there, the most dangerous, calm, poise specimen on the face of this earth. And that right there, will reintegrate what it is to be man while society tries to strip this shit away. Yeah. One by one, one song, one movie, one whatever, they try to strip it all away by trying to demasculinate us and things like, and I'm very, very strong about that. Yeah. But it takes a man to truly understand his range so that he can do the dance. Because if you can't do the dance, you're lost in your emotions. You're lost in the emotions. You will never be able to play this very difficult game. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty interesting how many people we know and we watch don't understand how to play the game. It's really interesting. Emotionally driven 90% of their life. And then exterior val- ex- exteriorly validated to fill the bucket the rest of the way. And it's, it's a hard place to come from and it's extremely rewarding to be on this side of it. And I know you know that too, you know this side of it. And I feel very fortunate that I was able to have the courage, the confidence and clarity to bring myself to this side. And then 
like you're doing, helping other men come to this side. Because yeah. this is a really beautiful place to be, really beautiful place to be. It's ultra connectivity with yourself, ultra connectivity with other people, compassion on a level that I'd never experienced before, and passion and, and anger and rage too, like it's the full spectrum. So bro, I don't know how long it's been. I really appreciate your time, man. Really appreciate your time. We're going to do another one of these. Thank you so much yeah, we'll for being it, here. Yeah, for sure. Audience, Garen Jones on Instagram. If you can't find him, you clearly have a broken phone, computer, or typing fingers. So go look up Garen Jones. We love you. We appreciate you being here, and we'll catch you on the next one.